You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I was pulling into the parking lot and I said, Lord, give me a sign. And then I hear that there's motorcycle parking and I said, thank you, Lord. So um, now I have an excuse to get that Harley I always wanted, right? Well, today we're finishing up our series with a message about sharing God's purpose. And we're going to examine three observations that we can make from our text about God's purpose for the church. We're going to look at his purpose for discipleship, his purpose for fellowship, and his purpose for evangelism. Our text today is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. But before we begin, let me just jump back, and as we look back over the events Uh, that took place prior to our passage, we'll just lay a foundation with that. You remember how Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, how he appeared to his disciples and he explained to them how everything written about him from the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. And he opened up their minds that they would understand the scriptures. And then we read in Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, how he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of this. I'm going to send what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then the disciples watched as Jesus was taken back up into heaven, and they worshiped him. Afterwards, with great joy, they returned to Jerusalem, to the upper room where they were staying. And when the day of Pentecost came, that was 10 days after his ascension, the disciples and those that were believers, about 120 in all, were gathered in one place, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in other languages. Now, these languages were understood by many of the Jews from other nations that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And a great crowd assembled because of the sound. Can you imagine the sound of 120 people all talking at the same time? We could probably do that right here and and see how loud it is. Now imagine these same 120 people speaking at the same time, but speaking in different languages and declaring the wonders of God. And so they stood there, bewildered, amazed, perplexed. And they begin to ask themselves, Aren't all these people Galileans? How do we understand them speaking in our own native languages? Somebody shouted, 
oh, they've just had too much wine. They're probably just drunk. And so Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 no. Listen, we're not drunk. This is the beginning of what was promised through the prophet Joel. And by the time he finished explaining what was happening, 3,000 people were added to their number. And the church was launched. It began right there. And so, now check this out. This is our text, verse 42. And the church is established. It's growing. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here with us today. I pray that as we open your word that you would help our minds to be alert and our hearts to be receptive as you teach us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that my words would be concise, that they would be clear, and that we would be encouraged and built up and strengthened in our faith as we walk daily with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever noticed how the culture around us how they idolize, how they even worship perfection. Society tells us that the level of our performance, our, our appearance, and our status equates to the level of our acceptance. And the world markets this perfection, don't they? We see it everywhere. And they, they tell us that this is the goal that we must attain in order to be accepted in society. And you'll see how some people go to the extreme in order to get that perfect body. They have all kinds of stuff lifted and tucked. They get pedicures, manicures. They have their hair styled. They go to the spa. They get massages and facials. You know, they even try different diets. And then they go to the gym and they exercise. Have you ever heard of anyone who does CrossFit? Of course you have. How can you not? Because they share it with every single person that they, they have on their friends list in Facebook. They share their workouts and say, this is how I did. I did 500 whatever they're called and, <laughs> and a couple push-ups and and. You, you can't get away from it. And there's never a doubt when somebody is doing or not doing CrossFit. In fact, I think they probably have an app that is set up just for the purpose of bragging. I, I mean, sharing their CrossFitness with the rest of us. But notice that none of these iconic people are perfect. They're all flawed in some way or another. 
Think about all the actresses and what they go through as they prepare to walk down the red carpet for the Academy Awards. They spend months getting ready, getting that right dress, the right accessories, having their hair done. Let me tell you something. You know what? In real life, they don't look like that. People Magazine recently published an article, and it was a series on what these actresses look like, and it compared their with their makeup and without their makeup. And oh, man. What a way, what a reality check to find out that nobody is perfect. Well, many Christians might have a misconception of what the early church was like. Let me tell you something radical. Again, nobody's perfect. Not even a church body. The early church, even in their infancy, wasn't perfect. They encountered issues with lies, discrimination, criticism. But you know what? This group of men and women had witnessed life-changing events that had changed their lives forever. God had sent the Holy Spirit and empowered these believers to be witnesses of Christ, beginning in Jerusalem and then spreading out the message of repentance into all their known world. Their primordial task was to share the good news of Christ. Now, think about what it must have been like for these early believers. You see, good news was really good news. Because up to this time, the religious leaders had imposed upon them this list of do's and don'ts. All these laws that had to be followed and the ceremonies and the rites, the rituals. And it was an impossible task to fulfill or to uh, abide by all of these laws. Not even the religious leaders could keep them. And so when they found out and they heard this message that they could now receive reconciliation with God, apart from the religious rites and ceremonies, and all of this being confirmed by the miraculous resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, man, they were on fire. The long-awaited Messiah who had been promised had been among them, and he accomplished the task for which he was sent. Well, then it's only natural that you would want to share this good news with everyone that you come in contact with. Those who had been discipled by Jesus for three years, who had walked with him, who had witnessed his life firsthand, were chosen by God to communicate this message of reconciliation throughout the world. God had a specific purpose for the establishment of his church. He has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. You ask, well, what is reconciliation? Well, that's when a relationship that was broken is restored. And we're talking here about the relationship between God and man. How through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that we have been brought back into right standing with God. We're also called to be ministers of reconciliation in the relationships that we have with one another. 
And so today we're going to look at these three observations about the purpose for God's church. Our first observation is God's purpose for discipleship. It's God's desire that his people would become his disciples, followers, learners, not just fans who are attracted to Jesus for what they can get, but followers of Christ who would devote their lives to him because of what he's already accomplished. And it's God's purpose that we be sanctified. Sanctification is simply that ongoing process of us growing up spiritually, aligning our beliefs with God's word so that we would be conformed into the image or the reflection of Christ. God desires that we all grow up, that we follow him, and that we be that reflection of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ wherever we may be. In our text, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The early believers were very interested in the apostles' doctrine because this was the same message that the apostles had witnessed for three years modeled by Jesus. It was a life that was radical, completely different from all the norm that they knew. It was a life that was completely and totally dependent upon their father. And so the early disciples, they simply repeated all of the things that they learned from Christ. Remember, he opened up their understanding that they could comprehend the, the scriptures. They didn't use philosophical eloquence to gain them academic respect. They didn't use Pharisaic language in order to gain religious respect. But they simply shared and they lived out this good news. Now, Paul wrote about the good news in his letter to those living in Rome. He said, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news about his son. In his earth, earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work. Saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Neil Anderson in his book, Victory Over the Darkness, he wrote, We are neither sanctified nor saved by how we behave, but how we believe. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, not the renewing of our behavior. If we could change our behavior and be made right in God's sight, then the law would have been all we needed. But none of us can keep the law. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's only by faith, because of God's love and through the blood of Jesus, that we are made right in God's sight, that we've been reconciled back to him. And so the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They testified about their trans- the transformation that was occurring in their lives as the result of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You see, they were saints now, not because of their performance or their behavior, but because the righteousness of Christ had been imputed upon them. And God empowered them by the Holy Spirit to share this message of good news with boldness. They didn't just hear the message, but they applied it. You see, when we share our transformation story with others, what God has done in our lives, taken us from the slimy pit into the light, we give God glory because we're doing what he has purposed for us to do to share that message. The next observation we make is that God's purpose for fellowship God did not design for you or me to walk through this life alone. He created us for relationship, first of all, with himself, and then with one another. And life is all about relationships, because God created it that way. He desires for us to be in community. And it's not some extrovert or introvert kind of thing. It's God's purpose. It's his design. And we all need relationships in order to be a part of this community. God designed it that way because he knows the damage that can be done and the loneliness, the emptiness that can be experienced when we walk alone. In fact, the devil is the one that tries to isolate us, separate us, so that we would be more vulnerable to his attack. But let's be honest. Relationships are messy. I mean, there's hurt and there's pain, and not intentionally, I trust, but it's because relationships require us to be vulnerable. But you know what? Sometimes we don't want to be vulnerable. So we have to make this decision to not live in our selfish agenda, to let that go, and to prefer others above ourselves, to love one another. God wants to establish and empower relationships to be as he originally intended them to be, so that we would love God and love people. Throughout the scriptures, we see the sweeping movement of God to restore a relational connection between himself and all humanity. He's also at work establishing a community of people who are to model and actually live out what it looks like to be in relationship with God and with man. And God has purposed that the church would be this place of this relational oneness. We see that. The early disciples devoted themselves to fellowship. You see, when we appreciate the value of living in unity and harmony with the people around us, it doesn't just make us a better people. It makes us a better church. And I would take it even a little bit further that our community right here that we're all a part of is a diverse 
group of individuals living in unity because we share common interests and a history. All of us were saved. We were lost, but now we're found. God's loving kindness has drawn us to repentance. And the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all of our sin. We no longer live in darkness, slaves to sin, but now we walk in the light. We have been separated unto God. We are saints, children of God, joint heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been united by God's grace and by his love. But we must make that decision. Do we continue to live under the worldly system that promotes selfishness? A system that is judgmental and critical of others when they don't meet our expectations? Or do we choose to live as God designed us to live? In a relationship with him and with others. Jesus in his prayer to the, for the church in John 17 prayed, May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you have sent me and that you love, me, love them as much as you love me. We're to be a people who live under the perfect, unconditional, agape love of God. We're embraced by it. And then we allow that unconditional love to flow out into the relationships that we have with one another. We're to stir up one another towards being people of God, partnering in God's redemptive work in those he loves. We live in community not out of perfection, but out of the grace of God that we have received. And it's as we stay connected to God's love, living in his grace, that we begin to model how relationships should be. Notice they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This was first modeled by Jesus at the Last Supper when he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, take, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about this breaking of bread. He said, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, and we all share the one loaf. See, the word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, oneness, or togetherness. In the communion service or the Eucharist, we have this perfect demonstration of the oneness that we all share in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, we're joined with the, to the Lord in our one, one spirit with him. And so we're eating the same bread and we're drinking the same drink. And as the same bread is assimilated in our bodies, it represents the union that we have with Christ and with one another. We all 
share our being part of the body of Christ. And this was such a beautiful demonstration of that oneness that they had in Christ and with each other that they did it often in the early church. Well, our third observation is God's purpose for evangelism. Jesus empowered his disciples to become apostles. Apostolos, apostolos in the Greek. And that word is the word that we get for delegate. It's a messenger, one who is sent with a plan. And an effective delegate must be able to represent the mission and the purpose of the one that is sending them. A good delegate must remain in communication with the one who sent him. And so we see that they devoted themselves to prayer. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They saw firsthand how he placed this priority of prayer in his life. He would separate himself from the crowds, from the disciples, and he would go and he would pray. You see, when we pray, we humbly submit ourselves to God. We lay down our will, our desires, our agenda, and we allow God, God's will to be our desire. The disciples' commitment to prayer was also the vehicle that allowed them to endure all the things that were going to happen, the persecution. And it allowed them to persevere that and become and fulfill the purpose of God. So they didn't just keep the message to themselves, but with boldness, they shared their transformation story with others. And as they went into the world, their transformed lives made an impact on everyone that they met. Text says that they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. You know, I'm thinking that maybe some of these might have been merchants. And maybe their skills had been tilted so that as a merchant, it would benefit you and not the person buying. Maybe they recalibrated their skills so it was fair. Maybe they were grumpy and now they're joyful. There was a transformation of some sort that took place. And people noticed this change. It says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Later we see that persecution came. That's because God's way cuts right across the grain of society. Goes against that worldly system that screams out, Me first! And says, Lord, I prefer others. Let your will be done, not my will be done. So let's look at the result of the church as they walked in these dynamics. 
We see that they were together and they had everything in common. This tells me that there were no higher status and lower status. They were on an equal playing field. They all shared the life that was given to them in Christ. They shared with others the blessings that they had. We see that they sold property and gave it to those in need. You know, after Pentecost, many of the Jews from the other nations that had gathered, they stayed in Jerusalem. And after a time, they probably exhausted their resources. They stayed because of the exciting events and the anticipation that Christ was going to return at any moment. There was excitement. And so we see that God didn't tell the early believers to sell all their property and to lay it at the apostles' feet, but many did. And this shows me that they no longer cared about their own agenda, that they laid aside their plans, their selfishness, and they shared wherever they saw a need. We see that they met in the temple area, which shows us that they met in public. They met in their homes. This showed us that they gathered in private, breaking bread together, you know, just hanging out, doing life, maybe going to the movie together as a group. We just did that. We went to see uh, The Case for Christ. I recommend the movie. It's a great movie. But we, our small group went and watched this movie. So they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They lived simply. That word sincere, that means without wax. It's a word that, you know, the, the I guess the, the carvings or whatever out of marble, sometimes there's imperfections in it. Well, those that were selling these things would put wax in it so that you wouldn't see the cracks or the imperfections. We're to live our lives without this wax, with no deceit, simply and gratefully, with glad hearts. They weren't critical of each other, although unfortunately this did happen later on. You know, Pastor James always tells us to be as excited in church as sports fans get excited during sporting events. But imagine, if you will, what it would be like if a sports fan had the same attitude that we often find with people who are critical of the church. So I'm going to give you my top 10 reasons of why I'm not going to the ball game ever again. <laughs> Number one, whenever I go to the game, they always ask for money. Number two, the other fans don't care about me. Number three, the seats are too hard. <laughs> and the coach never visits me. Number four, the referees make decisions that I don't agree with. 
Number five, sometimes the game goes into extra innings or overtime and I'm late for dinner. Number six, the band plays songs that I don't know. Getting cold in here. (laughs) Number seven, I have other things to do during game time. Number eight, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. (laughs) Number six, I know more than the coaches do anyway. And finally, number 10, I don't need to go to the stadium. I can be just as good a fan at the lake. (laughs) You see, when you're critical, it's easy to find fault in the church. Remember, nobody's perfect, not even a church body. The early church wasn't perfect, and neither are we. But they effectively shared the life transformation, the purpose that God has for man to be brought back into right standing with him through the blood of Jesus. And they shared that message with everyone that they came in contact with. In fact, that message is still preached today. It's affected my life. There's a transformation that took place from when I walked in darkness to now when I walk in the light. Well, the first purpose of God was fulfilled in that his people became his disciples, his delegates. They grew up and became imitators of Christ, that reflection of Christ. Later, we see that when persecution came and the church was scattered, they took this message of repentance into all their known world. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, we don't have to be the perfect church, but God is calling us to be his church in this earth. And as we reflect the love of Christ, God will add to his church those who are being saved. As the worship team comes up, and I'm going to give you three action steps. Maybe they can just begin to play some action step music. So the first action step is, let's move beyond being just a fan of Jesus, attracted to him for what we can get, and become a follower of Christ because of what he has already done. Let's allow the bigs to become a priority in our lives. You ask, well, what are the bigs? Well, as we stay in fellowship, we make the Sunday morning or Sunday worship experience the best that it can be. We invest one day a week, breaking bread, just hanging out, doing life together with our small group. Give your time and attention to your family and strive to make a difference in your community by sharing God's love. Let me share with you a letter that we received recently from the Oracle School District. It says, Dear Pastor Reese and members of Living Word Chapel, this letter is being sent on behalf of the Oracle School District and, the, and Superintendent Dennis Blauser, whom extend their appreciation for the continued support your organization has shown to the students and staff of the district. The volunteers from your church who showed up 
February 18th and painted the junior high hallway, cleaned cactus and rubbish off the awnings, cleaned the library and helped shelf and organize books are truly respected and, and valued. The governing board, staff, and students of the district look forward to continuing a supportive and cohesive relationship with Living Word Chapel and its members. And it's signed, Carmen Trejo. So as we go into our community and share the love of Christ, not expecting anything in return, but just loving people, it makes an impact. People see our transformed lives. We have another opportunity coming up in Hayden High School this coming Friday. We're going to be cleaning up, getting prepared for our Easter celebration that is Saturday there. And so there's an opportunity for you to, to join in this outreach. Just mark it on your connection card if you'd like to be a part of that. Well, the third action step is to reach out, to invite someone to next week's worship service as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most important day that we remember when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb, raised to new life, and the life that we have because of that. There's many ways to extend an invitation. We can do it in person, over the phone, share it on Facebook, however you, however the Lord leads you. But get the word out. Invite somebody. As always, I like to give an opportunity if you have never placed your trust in Jesus and you'd like to do so, you can do that now simply by praying this prayer. I'll lead you through it. Let's bow our heads. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.